This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Talk theatre with regular segment presenter Fleur Kilpatrick. Our Shoot the Messenger segment has been running for many years and has had th- at least three different kind of uh, regular presenters during that time. So the name changes, uh, the, the, uh, no, the name stays the same. The person who is about to speak on the microphone changes, but it's lovely to have Fleur in the studio. I like to think I have the most dulcet tone of all of your my predecessors. Um, that's what I'll claim. <laughs> okay. So um, the year is almost over, but before we look at the year in review, as is kind of traditional around this time mm. of year, you and I have both just seen a show, uh, the fourth and final show at the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival. Yeah, we did. So this was F by Riot Stage. Riot Stage is a youth theatre company, so they are working with a cast, I think the ages range from about 15 to 19, um, and that is directed by Katrina Cornwall and written by Morgan Rose, but very much written in the rehearsal room with the actors, including some sections that were written by these teenagers. Um, It's a response to Spring Awakening, the play which looks at teenage sexuality at the turn of last century when no teenagers had any knowledge Well, the turn of the century on. before, in turn fact. Of, yes. Yeah, so the end of the 19th century. Yes. So set in the, in the eight, yes, right. Set and written in the 1800s. And it was scandalous at the time, the idea that Absolutely. teenagers would talk about sex and masturbation. And, and wanted to know about this stuff and that, the, and that the lack of knowledge would have such dire consequences. So this is a response to that play now in a world where teenagers have an excess of knowledge. And it was, I found it a really intriguing production, knowing that this, some of the the language being uh, delivered, some of the the imagery we were seeing was devised and created by the kids themselves. uh, And then, I guess, filtered through the mind of uh, playwright Morgan Rose was really interesting to see because there was a real authenticity to some of the work. And I loved the, the way that, for example, it incorporated internet memes and social media mm-hmm. and texting as narrative devices and, and th- ways in which we could see things spiral out of control in the way that an internet meme spreads. Yeah. I also thought that the structure really beautifully reflected the internet, both, both teenage attention in a way, and also how we work on the internet. There was this sense of like, this pops up and then you minimize that, that, um, that screen and then you pick up this screen. And, and that's partly reflective of well, as well of the structure of Spring Awakening, where there is these multiple stories going on, weaving in and out of each other, but with the sort of, dynamic sense of movement that this play has it really reminded me of the internet and of today and it felt very modern in its um in how it was presented in that way yeah so look there were some elements of it i found a little problematic partially the use of the space uh which it's presented and it's still on until the 11th of december Mm. so um and i i definitely think it's worth a look uh and but i did struggle with the it's in the the new ballroom at trades hall which is a very broad wide space and rather than condense the action down or for example make use of the depth of the room by placing the audience at one end um they've they're arraying the drama across the space which means unless you're sitting even if you're sitting right in the center you're constantly swiveling like you're at a tennis match um and it's a large room and some of the because they're younger actors without as much training and experience the the lack of vocal projection was sometimes a little bit of a challenge as well yeah oh i totally agree about the projection but i actually there was times when i thought that that 
tennis matchness of it was used incredibly well. There is a scene that I won't, will try not yes, to spoil with like, an actor on either side of the stage. Yeah, that worked well because it really deliberately and successfully used the space. But yeah. there were other points where I just found the perhaps a little lack of focus mm. directorially in terms of making taking advan- full advantage of yeah. that space. That scene was fascinating because it was very much a scene where I think as a male or a female audience member you perceive it very differently. And I think for heterosexual men it was a very painful scene and I won't say why again but I the first time I saw it because I did see it twice um uh I was sitting next to two heterosexual men and they were their eyeline was entirely on the young man while my eyeline was on entirely on the young woman on the opposite side of the stage and that was really interesting just to clock that how and for me last night I was just swiveling backwards and forwards constantly being between the two yeah Um, it's really interesting that Spring Awakening remains such a potent story um, mm. over a century later uh, a se- uh, because it's uh, Daniel Lamon's production Awakening, which mm-hmm. was on earlier this year, a Monash University student theatre production, which is being remounted next year and co-presented by 45 Downstairs, mm-hmm. which I'm delighted about because it was a great it's show. A that show. was riffing off Spring Awakening. Mo- um, more recent, uh, Just as recently, over in Broadway, there was um, a deaf production that incorporated American sign language Mm. uh, as part of the choreographic staging of the work, which also looked incredibly alive and vital. So it's a story that just keeps on giving. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's rare to find a text that was so dangerous at the time and still and still pains us today um, in very extreme ways. I think I think it's, again, as I said, different to watch it if you're a male or a female, but I was speaking to someone on the weekend who saw it and is a parent and had a whole different experience of watching it as a parent. I think what this production has done really beautifully is to get a sense of where there's a great sense of some things that were dramas um, even 15 years ago not being such big dramas there's this wonderful scene early on where you have two young men standing and just standing and staring straight out at the audience with text coming up behind them as one of them says so i came out to my parents over dinner what did you have for dinner tacos yum this kind of like great sort of like it's just not that big a deal and what was more a big deal to this group of teenagers which of course isn't true for all people because some people coming out is still hugely horrific and traumatic but for this group of teenagers they were really saying what's harder is just being a teenager yeah and the authenticity of the language was this is a a sharp fresh show in that regard it it really feels very of the moment very Mm. real uh, and for me a fascinating as a almost 50 year old uh, Mm. single uh, non-parent a fascinating snapshot into the lives of contemporary teenagers it it really felt um, real and observed and truthful yeah absolutely and it was interesting I spoke to a few university students afterwards including a 19 year old so you know basically the same same age group but these these students were still like oh my goodness it just reminded me of how different it is to be a year younger than I am, two years younger and already feeling out of this moment, which is very much this experience of being in high school and having very little control of your own life in some ways, but immense control in others. Yeah. So F by Riot Stage is on at Trades Hall in the new ballroom till the 11th of December, presented as part of the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival. You can find out more information at www.poppyseed.net.au.
Flo, let's talk briefly about some of the highlights of the year because yeah. it's been a pretty bloody good year. It's been an amazing year. I think the standard of work going on both on main stages, medium-sized stages and totally tiny independent pop-up weirdness has been outstanding. Um, I might start with main stage. I had a highlight at both MTC and Malt House, um, both of which were adaptions of Australian novels. I'm going to guess that the Malt House adaptation was Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yes. And MTC. MTC. Well, for me, it was Ladies in Black, which is an adaptation right, of an Australian I didn't see book. That. But no, it was Jasper Jones for me. And oh, I, yeah, yeah, that was a great production. Yeah, and I think that something that both those productions had in common was that they were putting on stage a genre that we don't always see: Australian Gothic, Australian Gothic horror, horror yes, in, suspense, in the- thriller, in Picnic at Hanging Rock, and then over in Jas- at Jasper Jones, it wasn't quite so stark, but they had a lot of. They played with this thing, which we see a lot in comedy, of grown-up adults playing children and playing it with immense physicality and and really enjoying the physicality uh, um, and voices um, of children. And yet, in this context, it was a very serious piece at times and very painful and dealt with some really dark issues. So you see these grown-ups playing these these beautiful childlike movements whilst still getting this full emotional impact of it. So I loved both of those two and I was so excited by what our Australian playwrights are doing with novels. Some of my highlights for the year um, were comedy. Mm. Um, Comedy which was so beautifully and densely and tightly written and performed. So Zoe Coombs-Mars' Trigger Warning, Mm. which was... It it turned comedy inside out. It literally disappeared inside itself and came out the other side. And it was remarkable and amazing. And I really hope that uh, Zoe will bring it back to Melbourne at some stage. And Sammy J's Hero Complex, which was on at part of the Fringe at Northcote Town Hall, was, again, an... an astoundingly written show um, based on real life. And you kept watching this thing unfold going, oh, now he's got to be making this bit up. And then he would show you a video sequence uh, from uh, like a something he'd shot in at high school in the mm. 1990s or whatever. Uh, and you're going, no, it's real. So mining truth uh, to create mm. remarkable comedy. So really, really impressive shows. And... Uh, I also, the flip side of that, we've already mentioned uh, Awakening, Daniel Lemon's directorial must production. That had me sobbing in the theatre. It was heartbreaking and incredibly powerful. And so I also wanted to mention another show that that reduced me to sobs, which was Wit at 45 Downstairs. That was an an immense performance from Jane um, Montgomery Montgomery Griffith. Um, Incredible piece of theatre. It was an amazing thing as well to just see, like, they had an amazing cast, most of whom were floating around in the back somewhere. It was basically a one-woman show, and yet still the quality of the actors that were coming on and for two tiny little scenes at the beginning and end or something was just immense. That was a devastating show. On... um, Zoe Coombs-Mars show, though, um, just want to mention as well that Malthouse has programmed a show that I'm hugely excited about next year, which is Wild Boar, which is Zoe Coombs-Mars, Adriana Trescott, and who's the third lady? Who's the third bottom in that I've promo shot? i out, but yeah. <laughs> but I am so excited about that because the, the minds on that show are so, are so brilliant. Um, 
I think an absolute highlight for me of the year was Trilogy by Nick Green that was on at um, Arts House. That's a show that's been around for several years, um, uh, English theatre makers. It was a really special moment to see it, though, in its creation because one of the makers was pregnant and that actually felt like a real privilege, these dancing, ballsy, naked, um, gutsy ladies and to see the joy that they were getting from their bodies and from being brave ladies was amazing, particularly with this amazing pregnant body dancing on stage in front of us. It was, for me, a really wonderful reminder um, as a female artist of how you can make work about the victimisation of women and yet not call women victims and yet get up on stage and have 70 naked women dancing joyously on stage and owning their bodies and being so proud of where women have come in a hundred years. And I think that that goes for any group, really, how to talk about the victimisation of a group whilst owning it and whilst saying, but we're also really strong, we've got this. And that was a really exciting and beautiful reminder to me. Speaking of dance, I saw some great works uh, on uh, in terms of dance, which I just wanted to briefly mention one or two. Over at the Perth Festival this year, I had the pleasure of seeing Claire Cunningham, uh, a Scottish performer with a disability. She's on crutches. She dances on crutches and moves yeah. beautifully and remarkably. So she did a show called Guide Gods, um, which involved to making cups of tea and serving them to the audience as well. So it was this <laughs> intimate act of giving and a coming together and a communion yeah, yeah. as well, which was fascinating. And that's that sense of the personal has permeated quite a lot of works I've seen this year. Yeah. Um, and I also really enjoyed Dance North's uh, If Blank Was Blank, which was on at the substation. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be talking uh, to someone, to the... Uh, the uh, the substation's artistic director, Brad Spaulding, coming up in about 20 minutes' time about the work they've got on next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to mention that one of my other highlights this year uh, has been uh, seeing scripts that have that uh, had some uh, some showings. The National Play Festival was on in Melbourne this year mm-hmm. and uh, there was a chance to see uh, a really interesting work uh, from an Indigenous perspective being told about the, the crash of Skylab. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think for me, one of my absolute highlights of the year was the Lotus Play readings at the National Play Festival. Four plays by Asian Australian playwrights telling incredibly fresh stories that didn't rely on the, the white middle class dramatic tropes that we so often st- see in, in Australian main stage theatre, for example. Yeah. Um, it was so dynamic. I came out so electrified and I wanted to see more of that and yeah. I really want to see those four scripts produced. I think I've seldom seen an audience leave a reading so excited. There was such a feeling of... Um of momentum and pace and vibrancy and newness about those scripts. I think it's really worth mentioning a few other scripts that I saw in readings this year as well because this is me saying to anyone that is listening, if you have a chance, if you're a programmer, look these playwrights up. Oh, my goodness. Melissa Reeves also at the Play Festival. The Zen of Table Tennis. The Zen of Table Tennis. Thank you so much, Richard. That play changed names many times, so I'm not quite sure where they're up to, but The Zen of Table Tennis amazing script that's had so much development and is just so ready it's 
It's ready to go on. It's been ready to go on for a couple of years, actually, and so I'm so excited to see what comes of that and something better come of that. Um, also, I was at a tiny little reading in a living room of a play by Jessica Bellamy called The One About the Two Rabbis, which was just hilarious and beautiful, and this combination of time travel and religion as they go back through time to examine the biblical stories that have had immense impact on uh, impacts on the lives of young Jewish women today that are still impacting. Just such a vibrant, exciting script. And also I was at a reading just this week of Georgia Simmons' new play, um, which is called uh, The Greatest Love Story Ever Told, I believe. Um, I should really know that because I've been dramaturging that, so that's my disclaimer. Uh, but that was so beautiful and this wonderful mashup of sort of of rom-coms and this really insidious power that they have and also very much about domestic violence mixed in with this pure romance. And so it left the audience of that reading hugely unsettled. So many people's first responses was how distressed they were at the same time as also being swept up in the grand grandness of this rom-com trope. Now, sadly, we're out of time. Otherwise, we could sit here and talk for another oh, half hour so about good. all the works we've seen. I did just want to give a final shout-out to this year's Melbourne Festival, which um, had some exquisite experiences oh, for yes. me, especially the Echo of the Shadow, in which yep. I got to have my shadow tickled. I got rowed in a, in a rowboat across an underground lake built beneath Federation Square. Um, it was such a transporting and transformative experience. Yeah, so, well yeah. done, Melbourne. Yeah. Didn't we do well? It's been a good year. It has been a very good year. If you want more uh, about what Melbourne loved on stages in 2016, Anne-Marie Peard um, is doing an ongoing series at her blog, sometimesmelbourne.blogspot.com.au, in which you can uh, read comments from the likes of Scott Price from Back to Back Theatre, uh, Ang Haradwin jones the Artistic Director of Arts House, and many others uh, speaking about their theatrical and stage highlights of the year. So sometimesmelbourne.blogspot.com.au. She also wants more submissions, so you're if, an, if you're an artist out there and you've been ignoring her... Her, um, her prods, write your what you've loved. You should. You definitely <laughs> should. Fleur, we'll catch you in 2017. That's so weird. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. If you are parents with small children or if you are uncles or aunts and uh, looking to, um, I don't know, be considered pretty damn awesome by taking your nieces and nephews to see a bloody good show that they will enormously enjoy, I highly recommend The Listies Ruin Xmas. Um, Xmas Christmas, I should have asked the, the boys who have made the show how they pronounce that X, but I'm joined in the studio by The Listies, Matt Kelly and Richard Higgins. Welcome to you both. That was such a good promo. I don't think we need to do the interview. Yeah, that's it. Let's just back away slowly. <laughs> that's pretty good. Anything else we say is going to dissuade people from that, I think. So, yeah. Xmas or Christmas? Uh, I don't know. I, we've been saying Christmas, haven't we? Yeah, we Matt? say Christmas. We say Christmas. It yeah. just fits yeah. better on a poster. <laughs> you know. The atheist in me is always trying to remove Christ from Christmas. So, I think that's what the X but, is. But, but the Orthodox have X is how you spell Christ, isn't it? Oh, it's so hard. Someone's going to call in about but that. But this is what the show is. It's like 55 minutes of us talking about that. About Kids theology, l- uh, the history. No, it's not. Kids <laughs> love it. 
They really <laughs> love it. It's not. Kids are so much more intelligent than they're given credit for. Look, Everybody wants a show about philosophy. They do. And they parents do. are just sitting there going, where are the fart jokes? <laughs> we were promised fart jokes. And an inflatable Santa suit. That is true. There's two of them. Uh, hashtag spoiler. <laughs> There's two Santas. Oh, you've seen the show, haven't you? I have. I saw it last year, so I'm delighted it's getting a return season. Oh, oh it's backed by popular demand. <laughs> That's the kind of champagne comedy you can expect from uh, the show. I've heard that so many times, but I still laughed at it. (laughs) What does that say about your mental age, Richard? Uh, I haven't had coffee yet, so (laughs) it's very low at the moment. Why create theatre and comedy for kids? Because surely kids can find enough to laugh at in the world around them without having to be taken to the theatre and sat down and told, this will be funny. Um, Because venues are empty during the day and you've got to put something on. That's right. It can't just be morning melodies all the time. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Why, why do we make kids' shows, Matt? Uh, I can give you a really earnest answer of how, like, the most amazing thing is when a, a three generations of family, kids, parents and grandparents are all laughing at the same thing and they've all kind of packed the car or got on the tram and come in together to have, like, a shared experience um, and uh, the, that hopefully kind of puts them... Uh, on the path towards being regular theatre goers and and uh, and loving it as much as we do, I could say that, but really, it's just a great venue for our immature sense of humour. Like, <laughs> that's really it's what true. it is. There are, it's 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 like a form of theatre that allows us to go. How do we get a pantomime horse into something? Pantomime dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we go, actually, a pantomime horse costume is really expensive. Why don't we just make a really crappy one, <laughs> one ourselves? Uh, which was made by the wonderful set designer, Marg Horwell, uh, to spec. We, we asked her to make it in a crappy way. So just to defend Marg, I wish she'd say that. <laughs> yeah. Now, clearly, it, um, this has been a successful move for the two of you because you've been performing as the listies, doing kids' comedy uh, for quite a few years now. You've got a book. We have. Uh, yeah couple of cds yeah we've, made, uh, we've actually we're actually about to adapt our book wikipedia for stage next year and i think it's the 10th show we've made together yeah in eight years which but is we, quite a lot like we so. met doing kids theater and at rmit yeah at rmit yeah. with lynn ellis um there and we used to do roll doll and um uh, andy griffiths andy griffiths stories and stuff so we've always kind of had our toes in the water of kids theater um and basically, what the difference between what we do on stage for adults and what we do on stage for kids is that there's less swearing and Richard's slightly meaner to me. I am, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's to do with our clowns. My clown is a bit harsher yeah. and a bit more intellectual, I think, in our adult stuff used to be. But then we stopped doing that now and we only do kid shows. Yeah. Um, and I... It's fascinating to having seen you guys perform and seeing you off stage as well. I love the fact that your characters on stage are essentially amplified versions of your personality. <laughs> Richard is literally the straight man. <laughs> I am literally straight. Yeah. True. <laughs> you get to goof it up. Yeah, and, and just be as camp as I want. Like, it's great. This is the, there's a, one of my favourite jokes in the show is I put this... Um, uh, Richard hangs a star on top of his tree and it's a picture of Lillian Chin and I hang she's a, my star and I hang a beautiful angel and it's just this it's cardboard Justin cut out of Justin Bieber 
That's good. And that, that's kind of turned into a two-minute rant about how amazing it is that Justin Bieber's back and how handsome I find Yeah, I, no- I noticed that was going longer, actually. I like it when you go, you go, Merry Christmas, girl. Merry Christmas, but it's girl. also just delightful that kind of like little budding kind of like queer kids in the audience can then get to see some reflection of, the, of, the, of themselves on stage, which is Absolutely, really and just that it's not a big deal and that Richard interacts with me and that's never what we're make, what's made fun of. It's always just part of like the human that is running around on stage and there are two guys uh, on stage who are best buddies who muck around and yeah one of them is just as camp as a rope dance <laughs> Richard have you ever made a child cry accidentally uh, yeah heaps <laughs> are you kidding me heaps. you monster well I mean also uh, like I'm I do it a lot less now because I don't have as much time alas but I'm a clown doctor at Royal Children's Hospital and I've made <laughs> children cry heaps because you're wearing a red nose and it scares the bejesus out of them so yes because that um, sometimes your, sometimes, your sometimes we often do great work as well we of do course. great work but there is times when it doesn't happen because your persona in the show as i said it's the straight man but the, mm. it's also the strict man you're the, the one who's trying to keep the show running to time and order while yeah. chaos unfolds around you yeah it's true but it's like i don't know it's like um I, when i do it well hopefully i often look at lena and woodley and and the thing is the danger with a straight man is that sometimes like the straight man in the groucho brothers uh in the marx brothers i should say uh was Zeppo, who's quite a boring straight man. But then you can get like interesting straight men like Leno and Leno and Woodley. And there's something about his OCDness that is so turned up, like he's so straight and that it goes over the top, uh, that he actually kind of goes becomes sort of mad too. So that's what I sort of aim for. That it's that it, he is straight. He is trying to keep things on time, but it's to the point of like <laughs> yeah. absurdity. And the hopefully, more and the more that um that um Colin yells at Frank in Lane on Woodley, the more that he the more angry he is. As never as long as it never gets to real anger, the more he yells, the funnier it is. Yeah. And yeah, like kids love bullying as well. <laughs> like it's not that much we've, bullying. We've yeah. got a slapstick routine that we do where I steal a banana from Richard. Oh yeah, they do and love it's, that. It's basically like I'm it's stealing work, Richard's it's, lunch. It's workplace abuse. <laughs> it really is. And the kids just love it. And we go, you, you're... This is terrible. You're Someone s- should be reporting this to the union. I remember Anne-Marie Peard said to us ages ago, it's like, you guys have tapped into the thing that kids love and, uh, and uh, that you understand the sadistic little humans that they are. <laughs> In terms of constructing a show that it looks relatively effortless on stage and i'm sure it's not there's an enormous <laughs> amount of studio time and rehearsal and practice and just how how conscious are you of how far can you push gross out jokes around poo and, and farts for example before they stop being funny and just become two grown-ups acting like babies there uh, is a definitely a line oh two grown-ups acting like babies write that Why, one write that down <laughs> Goo-goo-gaga. <laughs> <laughs> the Liskies listy, go goo-goo-gaga. That's the um, next show. I think that we are... we d- People always talk about our fart and poo jokes, and they are in the show, and when they're there, they're really there. But, uh, like, you know, Matt wearing a poo-stained pair of underpants or something. But there aren't that many. There's, like, uh, in the... Uh, they punctuate the show at, at intervals, but they don't make the show. And we do go, look, this is getting a little pooey. Let, maybe we need to spread, spread the poop joke like, out a bit we, more last, we, one, we made about three different versions of the Christmas show and one of them that didn't go to yeah, air... Yeah, that's good, that's it, true. ...go on stage was um, Dr. Pooh. 
uh, <laughs> travels back in time in his turtles <laughs> to save Christmas. And, like, basically what it was was the turtles was powered by poo. And one of us got diarrhea, and it allowed us to travel through space. But we, we were wrote, too far back in space because there was too much, too much poo. Too, too much back in far back in tow because there was too much poo. So, uh, <laughs> so, but we looked at that thing. We wrote the whole thing, and we threw it out because we like nah. we got Declan Green in actually. Yeah, the dramaturg. De- Declan didn't say no to anything. He was just like <laughs> more, more poo, more poo. <laughs> We had we we were like oh actually this crossed crossed the line but then again we made a Hamlet this year where um Richard got the brown plague oh by, yeah that's by, true. um and so we had to finish Hamlet in an hour otherwise he was going to poo his pants on stage <laughs> in front of people and that that show ended with um him uh, vomiting and spewing all over everyone and then uh, pooing as well. So that's what we did with Hamlet. And that was the STC. I love the fact that your comedy has clearly resonated so well with kids and families uh, that you've moved just from being the fringe performers, whether it uh, literally at Melbourne Fringe or mm. Melbourne Comedy Festival mm. um, to the main stage of, Aust- of Australian theatre. It's fascinating yeah. to see that arc unfold. What next? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, what next is actually... We're writing a new book. We are writing a new book. Um, and we're going to adapt Wikipedia for stage. So that should be on at the... We can announce this, can't we, Vic? Sure. Vic Arts, uh, Victorian Arts Centre um, in July next year. That'll be a brand new show, Wikipedia. Uh, I'm not... I think the show's called... Uh, the book's called Wikipedia, Dictionary of Disgusting New Words, but the show, I think, is just called Wikipedia. Yeah. Cool. I will keep my eyes out for that. If it's as fun as the listies ruined Christmas, yeah. it will be bloody hilarious. So, as I said, if you're a parent or an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent and uh, you want uh, the small humans in your life to think you're ridiculously cool and with excellent taste, you should take them to the listies ruined Christmas, which is on from the 10th to the 18th of December in the Beckett Theatre at the Malt House, recommended for ages four to four hundred million. Dinosaurs allowed. Uh, tickets thirty to forty bucks plus booking fees. One hundred and ten dollars for a family ticket, which is what four people. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, and where do people book? They go uh, to the Malthouse's website. Okay. Well, malthousetheatre.com.au. Or if you just see Matt Lutton in the street, just ask him <laughs> for two tickets. That's what I. That's, yeah. yeah. I always do that. Hey, Matty. Yeah. Got two tickets for the listies. Yeah. I love it. Uh, that would go down extremely well, I'm sure. So, <laughs> malthousetheatre.com.au, jump on there and book to see The Listies Ruin Christmas. Um, it has, for what it's worth, the Richard Watt seal of approval. Um, uh, the seal, of course, slaps its flippers and barks a lot. Um, <laughs> you can call the box office on 96855111 if you want a phone book, tickets to the Listies Ruined Christmas, or online, malthousetheatre.com.au. I have been talking with Richard Higgins and Matt Kelly, the Listies guys. Thanks heaps for coming in. Uh, thanks, thanks, Richard. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. My final guest for the morning has joined me in the studio from Dance House in Carlton. Angela Conquer joins us to talk about Dance Massive 2017. Angela, am I right in thinking this is the fifth iteration of Dance Massive? It is, it is. It's a pretty remarkable achievement, a biennial dance festival, which wasn't allowed to be called a festival in its early days. 
Well, I think we we really um, we really started to call it a festival when it became obvious that it was really a festival. Um, I can't really remember why we were so adamant about not calling it a festival. Uh, it's probably interesting to know that Dance Massive started as a as a very simple conversation between the three directors of the three presenting organisations, you know, many years ago. Dance House, Arts House, Malt House. Correct. And then it just grew and it grew, and I think it's you know it's a testament to the vibrancy and the diversity and richness of the of the of the dance ecology in in Australia and of course in Melbourne um, and now here it is yes it is a festival and it's um, it's uh, probably one of the most um, um, interesting ones in the world I would say by its own by its very model that you know it's a festival but it has three artistic directors three artistic visions and you kind of get you know three uh, three in one you know it's a <laughs> yeah yeah and the fact that then also Ausdance uh, have uh, partnered as well, which and the Australia Council have gone. Well, this is a really valuable opportunity to showcase Australian contemporary dance to the world. So you're seeing presenters and producers coming in internationally to look at the diversity of work and a real broad array of work that is being presented. Absolutely, absolutely. Dance Massive is um, is is massive, so it requires a massive amount of partners to deliver it. And Ostansias uh, yes, is our um, local partner for delivering everything that's to do with public programs and training and and uh, free events um and of course they've been wonderful in in crafting all this um this uh, public program that we may be talking about in a little while and then of course australia council um assisting us to deliver what is i think one of the strengths of this festival the international delegates program which basically means that we are able to invite key people from all over the world to come and see australian dance um with uh, you know with the aim to get those works to an artist to circulate because um they really deserve it and and um you know australia is kind of far away you can't really think yes, um, it's not like come- you just go oh just pop Exactly, yeah. exactly. So this is uh, this is just um, it's, it's just amazing to also see the impact that Dance Massive has on on the careers of so many artists. I mean, after the previous edition, the 2015 edition, there were so many works that are, are actually are still touring now. So, yeah, I think it's. Um, it's all happening. One of the things that excites me about Dance Massive is that it's the chance to uh, see brand new works that uh, are having their world premiere and simultaneously, um, perhaps the same day or the next night, you can go and see a work that's being remounted that you may have missed when it was on last year or that's been performed elsewhere in Australia and you didn't get the chance to see. Um, and to, so to see uh, the new, the experimental, the remounted, the reworked side by side really reminds me of the, the not only the breadth and richness of work that's being created but the incredible rigour and skill which Australian dance artists and choreographers are bringing to their work. Absolutely. And again, um, speaking of the strengths of Dance Massive, I think is um, is precisely that op- um, opening up this platform platform of presenting new works and and we have some amazing premieres part of this new edition, but at the same time bringing um, bringing um, um, interstate artists to present their work, so giving the Melbourne audiences the, an opportunity to engage with these artists. Um, again, Australia is very big, so not everyone travels to see them perform, you know, at the Sydney Festival, at Adelaide Festival, etc. And then, last but not least, even works that have been presented that have had the life in Melbourne are giving 
renewed exposure. And I think this is enormously important when you think that, um, yeah, contemporary dance doesn't tour much in Australia uh, for many, many reasons. And um, that it has very limited seasons as well. And it has very limited seasons. So when you speak of the rigour and the commitment of this artist to make a work that sometimes only has a season and, you know, it's sold out and then, you know, the words, the word, the word gets out there and not everyone has got a chance to, has had a chance to see it. Well, it's, I think it's really great to, um, to look at Dance Massive and try to, um, to embark on those um, journeys, really. Now, in terms of some of the works that are being presented next year, for example, um, The Farm are coming down from the Gold Coast in Queensland. So Absolutely. A, a company whose work I've heard about but never Absolutely. seen. Uh, they're on at Arts House. Uh, we've got the likes of, um, I don't know, of Prue Lang, uh, for example, her work Stella Project, which is on at, at mm. Dance House, your venue. Mm. Uh, James Batchelor, um, Lucy Guerin, Inc., Chunky Move, uh, Shian Law. There's, there's so many prominent artists working in mm. the dance sector. It, the line of this year is really impressive and I think again um, Dance Massive is about offering audiences and and um, and I guess um, dance community alike the opportunity to see the so many layers of dance making and dance thinking in, in Australia um, because the three presenting venues are different scales and um, different, um, different I guess um, directions of uh, curatorial directions so as you say you get to see um, the wonderful flagship companies like Chunky and and Lucy, but then you also get to see the more experimental, um, like Maria Randall or um, um, uh, you know Lillian Steiner, um, and then yeah, it's 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 probably bringing the the focus on on those people who today make what we think is the very best of Australian contemporary dance. Angela, when you're putting your part of the program together for mm. for Dance Massive, what are you looking for in the work that you program at Dance House? What's really important to know with Dance us is that we when we curate our dance massive program we are probably one of the we are the only partners in this consortium of partners offering a access to this opportunity via national call out so it is an expression of interest and then we uh, we have a panel uh, assisting us in making those decisions uh, what we're looking at is um, is um, both the new and existing work um, but work that has the I guess the caliber and the quality to be presented in such a context um, that is it's ready to be viewed by, uh, of course, by an audience, uh, but also by international eyes, international professional eyes. Um, and, yeah, probably the key word is rigor. Um, of course, with, um, there is a huge um, part of risk um, taking as in any curatorial decision because, yes, we invest in commissions and, uh, and new works. Um, but, um, you know, the artists are just uh, always great. So um, we, we are very excited to discover at the same time as the audiences, you know, the, you know, we've commissioned um, Martin Hansen to make a full-length work of his key award piece um, that was in the semi-finals. Um, we, we, yes, I would love to. I, I can't wait to see how this work will be a one-hour-long piece. Yeah, now that was a work which um, involved dancers responding to kind of YouTube clips and little gifs of classic dance pieces from the past. So it was about uh, a, a sense of history and connection and community and echoing through time. Yeah. Good memory, Richard. <laughs> it was four months ago, but yes, indeed. I think Martin's take on, on the history, on history and history of dance is very interesting because he, he likes to, he plays with the notion of, you know, the, the no future, you know, the punk attitude, no future. And what is, what if the dance history and history as such is over? And what may emerge when he 
mysteries over what kind of what kind of future can can be there if there's no um, no history left, um, and I think his um, his um, his approach to it is quite uh, quite um, optimistic and at the same time very witty and very uh, provocative. So um, yeah, we can we cannot wait to see this. Another of the works that's on at Dance House as part of next year's Dance Massive, uh, and Sandra Parker's Small Details, which mm. I'm intrigued by because. It's the the antithesis of what we sometimes think about when we think about dance. We think about mm-hmm. the body moving across space through time. We think of um, dramatic gestures, bold, sweeping movement. This is paring all that back to small, tiny, controlled gestures. Well, I guess you know that the dancers will like this kind of challenges. <laughs> um, as, uh, Sandra's piece is an existing piece. We presented it um, this year, earlier in the year, and we wanted to give it, um, again, renewed vi- visibility because I think it's a very, very interesting exercise of choreographic rigour. Um, here you have three dancers performing alongside some kinet- amazing kinetic sculptures, so you have uh, sculptures moving on the on the on the stage um, echoing the movements of the of the dancers and it is all very structured it is all very geogra- uh, geographical uh, geometrically um, uh, perfect um, to such a point that it's really infuriating and it's infuriating for everyone but then when you arrive at that point when it's beyond um, uh, when you feel like it's it's getting to you when you let go there, there is something that happens which is quite amazing it's it's in the letting go of what you're looking at that it kind of takes you into a new dimension of how you engage with the work and it really works um, it requires a little bit of patience from the audience but it really works I've seen, I've seen a few um, faces transformed by it when, when we presented it Now, uh, an artist who I first uh, encountered because he was presenting work at Dance House, James Batchelor, um, is presenting a work as part of Dance Massive at the Meat Market. And this is a work which I understand he developed while on a ship in the Antarctic? Yes. Well, you know, James, nothing can stop him. Um, so indeed, James, uh, James used to be our, um, artist in residence, uh, two years ago. He's enormously curious and active and, and he, um, had this amazing opportunity to get the, uh, this residency on this ship. He was the only one, the only artist. So he, he, yeah, he spent about, I think, three months with, with these people on a, on a, on a boat. He was telling me that, you know, sometimes they were really looking at him with a, a suspicious eyes, um, when he was making, you know, his choreography on the deck, you know, like what, 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 what on the earth? hell is exactly. this guy doing? Um, but I think it was a very, um, it was a great experience for him because it was really, you know, speaking about community outreach and, and audience engagement, you know, these people were his first audience. And he really, um, he really, um, I think was inspired by, I guess, the isolation of that experience because you, um, you are after all, you know, alone in the middle of the, of the, of the ocean. Um, um, the isolation of only being with with people um, that are there to work and here he was the only artist you know kind of doing making art you know on a boat um, and of course um, inspired by I guess the landscapes that he he had the privilege to to see and, and witness and, and feel so um, yeah I think it's probably going to be one of the highlights of the festival um, another piece I'm really looking forward to seeing is uh, and I'm so glad it's been uh, it's returning for Dance Massive because I missed it originally Nick a gun's piece for mm. person and ghetto blaster uh, choreographed by Joe Lloyd uh, and uh, it's this is a piece that's been doing multiple performances around Australia to great acclaim. Yeah, I was just reading this morning that it's actually going to New York in January as well. So um, 
obviously a great a great successful piece by you know Nic- Nicola and Joe are um, remarkable artists and uh, I think um, I, I haven't seen this piece myself but I've been uh, by what I read and understand of it I think it's it's again unmissable um, because it's it's witty but at the same time inherently political and we like that yeah dance massive is a biennial festival of contemporary dance presented by arts house dance house and the malt house theater uh, each venue with its own artistic director bringing their own aesthetic and ideas into place and it's a remarkable opportunity to see such a um a diverse celebration of what is possible and what can be done with with the body with dance and sometimes taking ideas to their absolute limit with and i every year i will see something that will challenge me and make me go how is this dance i don't quite <laughs> but and then i surrender to it and i'm seduced by the work uh, and come out going yes that's absolutely dance of course it's dance how could i have ever questioned it uh, and there are works which are, are just sublime and transformative and it's a i'm so glad it, it, it is continuing and clearly audiences have responded to it because that's what we say this is now the fifth iteration uh, in 10 years yes and in 2015 we we like to say it was the most successful edition back then um, to date back then uh, we we do think this one will be a uh, will be a, a great one as well also thanks to this um, um, incredible public program that goes with the with the with the performance seasons um, that's um, that's bringing uh, free events like the battle the battle massive which is you know drawing the best hip-hop dancers from all all over Australia to to battle for a to battle for a for a for a prize. Um, loads of conversations, um, loads of um, workshops. Uh, probably one to mention would be um, the um, the New York Times reviewer Claudia Larocco coming to do a, a workshop on writing critically on dance. So you know it's it's um, there is a little bit for for everyone from the very young ones up to the most professional ones, and um, yet another way of engaging with this art form. I think. For more information about the Dance Massive program, uh, you can jump online, dancemassive.com.au, or pick up a copy of the newspaper-sized brochure from uh, all the usual usual places around town. Dance Massive is running from the 14th to the 26th of March uh, at venues across town, as we've said, uh, Dance House, Arts House and the Malt House. So pick up a program, start booking tickets. Um, if you, dance as an art form intrigues you, it's a, a really unmissable experience to go and see such a concentrated array of work within a few venues over uh, such a dense period of time. I absolutely love it. Angela Conquer, thank you very much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you so much. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.